That's your decision now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Hi. Welcome to the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. This one uh, is super special to all of us. Super special to me. I've never, I don't think I've met someone that's survived such a horrible parachute accident like yourself. It wasn't me. You, you didn't survive like a bad parachute. That's... Different guy. Hey, were you brought up on like war crime charges? No. Did you set fire to a naval ship? Still not me. Shit. Dave? <sighs> I'm just kidding. We have our favorite guy, our favorite, our favorite dude that said everything we all wanted to say, Mr. Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller. Welcome to the show, my man. Welcome to Texas. I hope that you felt the aura when you landed and were just like, wow, I feel free here. <laughs> yeah, JT, thanks for having me, man. This place is awesome. Excited to, to bullshit. <laughs> no, this is going to be great. Yeah. Well, how's it feel to be in Texas? It feels good. It feels good, yeah. And you were on the road show right now. You're traveling a lot. Yeah, yeah. Getting worn out, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's all good. You know, I'm excited to get out there and talk to people about everything that I went through. Just like you said, said some things that I think a lot of people related to. So it's been good to talk to like-minded people. Yeah, well, I mean, I, that's the thing. That, the, the biggest thing that you could do at this point is you can't let the, the narrative die. Yeah. You, opened, you opened the can up to have this conversation. We can't let it just fall. and we all know how fast people forget yeah. now. And it's like, and move on to the next. And, and you know, social media, we are in a social media age where it's just a very, very volatile landscape. And, and so you're doing exactly what's necessary. Keeping this story alive, keeping it fresh in, into everyone's ears and eyes, because the sad part is, you know, we have leadership right now that just doesn't care. They're not, I mean, they're the ones at fault for this. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Go ahead and, 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 and kick us back. Let's start, you know, with you coming in the Marines, MOS, combat experience, everything like that. I'd like to, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, all your experience in that. And then we'll lead up to, to everything that transpired over the last two years. I appreciate it. So infantry officer, 17 years. Uh, came in in 05, Iraq, Afghanistan, five deployments. Uh, been a company commander for over five years. Were you out in the West in, in Iraq? I have spent my whole time between Lejeune and uh, Quantico. So I know you being out in Fort Bragg, familiar yeah. with North Carolina, but I'm, I'm a North Carolina boy. So when you were in Iraq, were you out West? Uh... So I was in Ramadi. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I did uh, Southwest corner of Ramadi for seven months. And that was 07, 08. That was a little spicy time, huh? Well, 06 was really the big gunfighting, and then there was the Al-Ambar awakening early 07. So a lot of S-Vest attacks, V-Bids, kind of spectacular attacks. What rank were you then? First lieutenant. So you were leading a platoon? Well, I was actually a company XO. So my first deployment was a MU in 06. We did uh, evacuations in Lebanon. So Israel and Lebanon got into a conflict, did that. We got into Kuwait. We sent some snipers up to Iraq. Then we turned around and came right back to Iraq six months later. Yeah, so did that. 
I basically I've been in the infantry. I was in MARSOC for a year or teaching the infantry for 17 years. I really didn't do any other staff jobs. I was a regimental opso. It's probably the closest staff officer job. Was a regimental opso at the basic school, uh, but mostly just teaching or, or out there doing it. That's awesome, and you're obviously enjoying it. I did, yeah. I mean, this was never supposed to be a career for me. I really enjoyed the military. I enjoyed the purpose that it gave me. Um, and so, you know, especially being at war for the last 17 years, I mean, I joined because we were at war. I wanted the opportunity to get out there and lead people on the battlefield and I got everything that I wanted. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that takes us to the story of where, you know, the kind of the wars ended in the way that they did. And that's why it was so emotional and I was so invested in it. Well, I mean, that's, that's a, a thing I think all of us are facing now. Like as things, as the dust settles, we're all kind of reflecting back on the last 20 plus years and going, okay, what was this for? You know, I've thought a lot about that. I've thought a lot about the fact that like my Iraq trips, we were, we were more so police, like, like, and I didn't understand. I still don't understand what the objective was, the why, like there was, there, there was a lot of, a lot of gaps there because it was, you're being fed and you know, because you're, you're, you're sitting in these planning meetings and everything like that at the, at the level that you're at. And as a JTAC, that's, that's another, you know, as a young JTAC, I'm sitting in battalion brigade division level planning meetings and listening to the strategic plan and still going, wait, there isn't one and not understanding it because half the time they're telling us, you know, we're part humanitarian, but when we try and interject a human rights issue, they say, no, that's their culture. You have to leave that alone. So it's like, okay, what the, what the fuck are we doing then? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the missions, the problem was they evolved. There wasn't really a consistent strategy from beginning to end. Now, I will say with Iraq, George Bush said from the beginning that he wanted to install democracy. Like, if you go back and look at his speech uh, in early 2002 about Iraq, like, he just had goals that I think were, were not sound from the very beginning. People like General Franks just gave terrible advice. So we never went back and held those general officers accountable. But Afghanistan is one of those things where we went there to destroy Al-Qaeda. And then, you know, we couldn't find Osama bin Laden. And then it just morphed into fighting the Taliban. We weren't prepared to go into Pakistan. And you're right, it became this nation building mission that, you know, clear build hold. Okay, hold till what? Is it sustainable? And quite honestly, our general officers fell in love with the small wars general and the counterinsurgency manuals tried to reinvent it. And it became something that they It was thought, all bullet points. It was, yeah. it was, hey, let me, let me achieve something that we made up. I can't say how many PowerPoint slides I've created in terms of showing how we were effective, but it's like, it was as thin as the PowerPoint slide, you know? And, and if you've actually been on the ground and looked at what's going on, I mean, I could just give story after story of, you could see through it. And so that's why it was frustrating, I think, for a lot of us, especially when Afghanistan went down the way that it did. And, and you brought up a good point there. It's like, we, we never turn the sights back on and, and pull anybody up going, hey, you messed this up. Yeah. Ever. And I don't understand why. And if we're not going to do it in the DOD, then it, that means it's not going to happen anywhere. Completely agree. I mean, in the first, 100%. Like in the first video, I said, is any of you going to raise your hand and say, we completely messed this up? Because I knew then 
that nobody was going to take accountability because I had watched over the last 17 years, none of them at the senior ranks at the operational four-star level taking accountability. And so I don't know what it is. You're exactly right. If the military themselves can't police themselves and hold senior leaders accountable, like are we expecting the civilian leaders? Are we expecting Congress to hold senior military leaders accountable? Because senior military leaders have no qualms with holding an 05 and down. Not at all. But I, I just don't understand why it doesn't exist in the senior levels. That was literally a thought I had this morning because we have, you know, our mutual friend Tony Cowden is is flying in later today. And I was thinking about what I was going to talk to him about when we we're on yeah. the show. He's running for Congress. And like, I was kind of unpacking in my head, like, what makes a, a special operator uh, a better candidate to be an elected official? And I started thinking like, well, they're the only ones that ever face pun- like real punishment on fucking up. Like the civilian world has turned to trash, like where you can't even tell an employee when they fuck up because then all of a sudden it's the hurt feelings report and all this. You can't tell a supervisor, Hey, you're fucking this up. Like, like, so there's no point in American culture now where we can say you're fucked up and you need yeah. to fix yourself. You need to come back to the table ready to work, ready to do things the correct way, the way that you were taught and trained. So it's like the special operations community is the only thing left that we have where someone's truly held to a standard. And even that, we're watching that wither away with the latest shit going on in AFSOC and General Slice. Like like with this female uh, special tactics officer bullshit that's going down. It's like, so so now we've, as a culture, as as a country... We've lost all accountability. (laughs) I mean, it seems very basic, right? Anyone that's been a parent, you know, if you continue to give your child what they want and you don't hold them accountable for mistakes, they're going to turn into this awful human. I mean, it's just basic stuff. But you're exactly right. Our culture, for some reason, has gotten away from not only holding people accountable, but also the victim mentality. Everyone's a victim. Even I see with veterans all the time, they come back and they fall in love with the, the thoughts of, you know, I should be a victim whether it's the VA, whether it's PTSD, whether it's a fill in the blank, they're just, they develop this, I should be a victim mentality. And it just, it it takes away from the accountability, which really ultimately will make you stronger. I think that's a byproduct of social media though. I think what happened is, is we transitioned to a phase where everyone kind of said, you know, everyone can create an Instagram and a Facebook account, but why am I not getting attention? And we've transitioned into this, how far can I push my struggle? How much can I exaggerate and stretch my struggle? Where it's like, dude, the bottom line is life is a fucking struggle. Whether you like it or not, whether someone was born with a silver spoon or rich parents or something like that, you trade one for another. There's never, no one is just born and has the easiest it ever has been, ever. Like, Like, you know, yeah, you may have struggled to, to find happiness in a career your whole life, but all your family members and your siblings were healthy and happy and, and, and good. Or you had a great career, but guess what? You're, you're, you're touched with a, a, a child or something that's, that's, that's given cancer and things like that. Like there's, everyone's got a fucking horror story, but now it's like everyone's racing to social media to make it seem like they're the only ones with a fucking hard life. And and that's falling in line with exactly what you're talking yeah. about. It's like <laughs> I read a, I read a book about Gandhi, and it was the same thing. The guy grew up rich, 
and he realized he wasn't happy, went out and tried to be a beggar, and he realized when he was poor, he wasn't happy, and he came to the conclusion that life is suffering. So it's it's what you are willing to suffer for. It, it's a challenge. The second that you take that step on your own without somebody, and, and then the military in a, in a form, you know, when I left active duty, like, it was a big, it was a big awakening of how much they take care of for you. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you're I'm going to figure that out here. Shortly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to do that right now. So I'll let you know. <laughs> well, it just becomes, it's all on your shoulders. Like, and, yeah. and to sit back and boohoo about it. It's like, no, dude, this is always, it's always going to be hard. You always have to work. You always have to work on yourself. You have to work for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. That's a lot of work. There's a lot of things. You've got eyes, ears, teeth, fucking right. <laughs> your, your, your general body health. Like, and that's another thing. Everybody just ignores health in general until it's a problem. You know, a majority of people. I know, you know, all the, all the gym people that are hating on all the, the New Year's resolution gym people right now are like, no, I pay attention to this. I get that. I get that. But the majority of people, it doesn't even cross their mind about physical health until it's hitting them in the face with a real problem. Uh, look at the, the American obesity percentage. I mean, look at all the shit with the, the virus. And it's like, it's like now you're concerned? You're, you're fucking 400 pounds overweight. Like, <laughs> Yeah, brother, I completely agree. You got to come from a strong base. And Jocko, I was just on Jocko's podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying the exact same thing, like understanding the strong base from your physical dimension, how important that is. And people overlook it all the time. It, uh, until it's rearing it right in their face. And then it's the most important thing That's right. ever. And, and, and it's just kind of like, people need to take a step back now and go look in the mirror <laughs> and, and kind of rewind because technology has not been our friend the last 20 years. It has, it has pushed us backwards, I you believe. Know, I've, so I've been thinking about this too. And you, quite honestly, I would say is an expert in social media, everything that you guys have created here. But Social media came out and started getting really big right about when George Bush took us to Iraq. And so you look at the polarization of the United States. I honestly think social media has had a big thing to do with that. You exacerbated by the, the mainstream media that is completely polarized. So when you take these things, they're all factors and all these individual characteristics we're talking about right now with people's choices. But you're right. Social media is a trap. It's an echo chamber of our own views, and it doesn't really allow the diversity of thought that we probably need to grow, develop, and be accountable. And these are all symptoms culturally, which probably goes back to the original question of why aren't senior leaders being held accountable? I mean, these are all just symptoms of, of I think, a societal problem that is a little bit harder to address. Well, I think we're stuck in, in the teens, America is like a spoiled teenager right now. And what I mean by that is no one is willing to even enter in with, with an open mind wanting to listen to the facts of something and then make their judgment based on that. People are going into all of these already decided. Yeah. They don't even care what the reality is because nowadays it's the first to, to publish a fucking headline. You look at what happened to us in the year, in the last year, like the headline came out after, after NPR falsely reported that we offered Kyle Rittenhouse a paid sponsorship upon his release of jail. Our, our CEO, Evan, comes out and says, 
we do not have a do not have a relationship with him, nor do we know him. We did not offer him a monetary sponsorship. And the headline started as Black Rifle Coffee disavows relationship with Kyle Rittenhouse, and then everyone removed the relationship word and moved that title together. Black Rifle Coffee disavows Kyle Rittenhouse. No, that never was said, not once, but. It's repeated and repeated and repeated yep. and repeated until everyone just thinks, oh, well, that, oh, why, well, why would they do that? I'm going to believe that. It's like, no, that never happened. Like, <laughs> but there's no consequence for anybody. Like the media specifically has no consequences by putting something out. NPR didn't get affected by putting, putting out that we offered a sponsorship to this guy you know, upon his release, they didn't, they didn't have to face anything. They didn't have to come out and say, Oh, we messed up. Sorry. Sorry. We totally fucked with your business. Like, like there's no, no consequences. hundred percent. I mean, I think that's why people are getting so lawsuit crazy. Cause that's like the one course of action that you have, but you know, I could give examples to your point in the media, how they just like black and white, right and wrong. But here's a small example that I haven't talked about on any of the other shows. I was charged with five counts in my special court-martial, and one article wrote six counts. Something small, not a big deal. But every article, we're talking hundreds of publications, just took that original fact and just let's repeated just, let's it. Let's just add to and it. Just let's repeated just it, right? Six, it. six charges, six charges. At no point ever was there six, but it's like once that first article is published, and again, it's, it's insignificant, but like that's, that's a small example. Everyone wants to exaggerate. That's right. It because just, it sounds better. And so, completely agree. But here's the thing. I see both sides. This is a double-edged sword. And what I mean by that is the positives of social media gives every single person a voice without filter. Mm -hmm. That's also its negative. But beforehand, you look 30 years ago, we were all fed what was passed through a filter with somebody else making the decisions. So yes, back in the 1990s, we were essentially... You know, the Weinsteins decided who was going to be super famous. They, they, they decided what was going to be on the news and what was going to be told to us and what way it was going to be told to us. I mean, but when you do go back, it was still generally central. Like, you look at the, the early 90s, like, CNN was going hard after the Clintons. Like, it, you wouldn't even recognize it if you went and looked back at some of their... Tucker Carlson was working for CNN back then. <laughs> like, true. Like, but that's the crazy thing. You watch that documentary that I think Showtime or HBO did called The 90s, and it's like, you don't recognize CNN because they are like just attacking the Clintons and Democrats and everyone. They're attacking everybody that's just fucking up. Yep. And then, then that just disappeared. And here's where, like, we conceptualized something... You know, we came up with democracy. We came up with freedom. You know, we came up with the First Amendment that said, hey, you're allowed to say whatever you want without retribution. That's, that's one of our freedoms. And then we have our news comes from a privately owned company. That's a capitalistic society. So they make more money the more attention they get. Mm -hmm. they can, they've realized in the last decade they can get more attention, which leads to more money by just saying whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> like, yeah. So I, where does the balance come back in for this? I think it's short-sighted. I, I think CNN has actually been hurt. So in the short term, I think that they've made gains with the clickbait, with the headline. But honestly, I think over the long run, it's going to hurt them. So I don't think it's a sustainable strategy. And I agree with you 
on social media also being unfiltered. So everything I said before about it being an echo chamber of our own views. I mean, I just posted something about Ukraine and NATO and American foreign policy that I didn't see anywhere else in the news, right? So sometimes you're able to, on social media, have an unfiltered perspective that is very valuable, and, but it takes people to kind of seek those opinions out. It's valuable if people want to listen. And this goes back to what I'm saying. America is in their teenage years because everybody is doing this yeah. and saying no. I mean, I've seen it hundreds of times where someone will say something and I'll respond, that's actually not correct. You need to look that up. And then their response is, I don't care. Like, do you not see the problem there? Yeah. Like, you don't even care if the things that you are repeating are correct. Like... There you are. You're part of the problem. Yeah. 100%. So walk us through like that morning. You you just got fed up. You said, fuck it. I'm throwing a video camera up. I'm going to put this up. Yeah. You knew someone was going to bitch at you. You probably didn't know how big it was going to go. Yeah. I, August 26th was when Victor 1-8 received the attack. Um, I knew a lot of guys in that unit. This had been something I've been thinking about for a long time. I didn't go into that day thinking I'm going to make a video. It was just one of those things where that day when that event took place, I was getting texts on my phone, pictures of the guys that were getting injured. And I just decided at that moment, sitting in my office behind my computer, that I was going to make a video demanding accountability because I knew there wasn't going to be any. And you're right. I had no idea how big it was going to get. I didn't even, there was a risk that nobody was going to like it. It was going to only get like five likes. And I was I mean, still going to yeah, get fired What did you have it. in your head? Are you like, oh God, I'm just going to make this and they're going to be so mad at me and yell at me. And then I'll I, be I, I assumed I would be fired. I mean, I even articulated in that first video that I knew I was potentially risking my job and my retirement. So, I mean, I articulated, I had thought through it, but it was important enough to me to make that stand and went from there. Yeah. And, and, and so you make the video, you were in your office at that time. I was. And then... At what point did you get a phone call and who was that from? It wasn't until the next morning. So I came into work the next morning. In fact, my chain of command never called me that night. So I posted it on a Thursday night and I got a lot of calls from my friends. And even like, some thanks, re- man. <laughs> yeah, well, they were, they were all saying for me to take it down. Um, I even had instructors that worked for me asking me to take it down. My wife was asking me to take it down. So I had a lot of people asking me to take it down. But I knew once I posted it, there was no like going back. Yeah. You know, so once you post it, it's out there. And it was something I, I believe strongly. And so went into work the next morning. And that was when I talked to my boss. So he, he never called me. He just waited till I came into work the next morning. That's at 06? Yeah. So, and then he was like, what are you doing? Yeah, he, was, he said, go home. There'll be an investigation. And I'll call you when we need you. But two hours later, he called me back in and relieved me. Obviously, he talked to some general officers. And they said, he's got to go. So they didn't wait for an investigation. Yeah. They removed me probably 12 hours after posting that video. And then what's the series of events that unfolded? Uh... Yeah, so right after that, I was relieved. I still was at a place where I didn't plan on making any other content. And I, I made a post, it's still on my social media, that thanked my command for the opportunity to command a battalion. And I, they were doing exactly what I would have done. But then after that, I had people, former bosses, getting on my social media and attacking me, telling me I should resign. And when I, when I talked to my boss, he told me that I was probably going to move up to Quantico and sit in a cubicle waiting for legal action. And I just didn't know if I was wanting to limp towards retirement for three years. And it also was bothering me that no one had addressed 
what you said. Yeah, of my yeah. statement. They're just mad you that you I mean? called them so out. So like everyone was attacking me, but it's like, I, did, did you hear anything I said? Like, does yeah. anyone gonna, is anyone gonna acknowledge what I said? But that's the culture. It's only, it's only, it's only valuable if it's coming from them up top. Like, and that's what's fucked up about them. They should be fucking embarrassed. And so like, that's, so I, on Sunday, made a second video that essentially said, I'm resigning. And I say exactly that. All I asked for you to do was comment on the content of my statements. And none of you did that. And after I made that second video, it just, it went off the rails. You know, I started, Marine Corps started slandering me as, as homicidal, suicidal by saying they were looking for me to protect me against myself and my yeah, family. Yeah, that came out quick. Like all of a sudden claiming, oh, uh, we've, we've received word from a close friend that he's suicidal. They were yeah. trying to completely like... It, Smear your your, right. your character so they could get get ahead of this. Like, yep. what a strategy! <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It, you know, they four months of just dealing with this. You know, command directed mental health evaluation leak in my command investigation. But when you look back at it, like nothing really fell out of my closet, right? Because mm-hmm. the Marines that I've worked with for the last seventeen years have really, you know, no leader for seventeen years is going to have everybody like him, but. On the whole, most people have really good things to say about me because I've worked my ass off. Like I have been in the trenches with the men doing the things that we've all done for the last 17 years. So it was really hard for the Marine Corps to attack me when I had the reputation that I did. And so it was just a tough ordeal through and through. Yeah, I bet. And then uh, at what point did they decide you needed to be locked up? So after I made, ultimately made four videos. After the fourth video, they gave me a gag order. And I broke a gag order one time. So I was a week after I had been given the gag order. I still at that point wasn't even pending any charges. They hadn't given me any charges. So, you know, like I wasn't under any legal action. I'd already outpaced the investigation. And I was just sitting there on a gag order. And the generals, General McKenzie, Lloyd Austin, and General Milley were going to go testify to Congress this was Friday night. I was thinking about that. And they, I knew they were going on a Tuesday, Wednesday to the House and Senate, respectively. And I thought, the best way to bring attention to this is to force them to overreact. So I made a post uh, violating the gag order. I quoted my gag order and saying, I'm violating your gag order. And um, I came in on Monday and they, they sent me to jail. <laughs> did you at least, did, did, were they master in arms or Marines? Uh, it was PMO. Which is, it's, uh, I don't know, military, police, military. They were uniform guys? Yeah. So, I mean, were they kind of winking? Like, hey, thanks. I actually, <laughs> I, funny you say that. I ran into one of them at the bookstore like a month later. And he's yeah. like, I was one of the PMO guys. It took you jokes. Like, I didn't want to do it. So, yeah. They, That's I, what I, I mean. I did get like, feedback. I did get feedback. I was like, we didn't want to do it. But, like, like uh, there, you had the support of the force. That's what the, that's what the, the upper tier of the military doesn't realize. That's what they don't. It's what uh, the, 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 the guys at AFSOC don't realize right now. Like, they're losing everyone. Yeah. You're making an enemy out of all of your people. Yeah. Like, when you pull this shit, you, you've lost all. I mean, that's years of training. You, you bring people in, you're indoctrinating them into our way, our culture. You have, to, you have to train the minds of people serving in the DOD to follow orders and do certain, do things, act a certain way. We have our core values set up the way, but then that they are. And then you just unraveled them in the last, I mean, this is the most, and this is what frustrates me the, the most 
is that heads are not rolling on this because even doesn't matter who's in the presidential seat. You should look at this. The president, the president's cabinet should look at this and go, you guys fucked the DOD up. You have, you have created the most confusion that's ever been spread throughout the force. You've created the most questioning of the integrity of the force. This is the first time in modern history that our military members are going, I don't know if they have my best interest yeah. in, I don't know if they're making decisions for us. They are just fucking doing shit and pissing us off. So it's like, when, when is someone going to stand up and go, you know what? You had your chance and you fucked it up. You're fired. <laughs> you know, I, it goes back to the buck stops with me. So you would think that the president would do that. You would think the secretary of defense would do that. And they're not willing to hold military leaders accountable because it, it reflects back on them, right? So they want to just move on. The military has demonstrated in the senior ranks that they're incapable of holding each other accountable. Congress isn't doing it. And so it's like, where does that leave us? It left Lieutenant Colonel Scheller making a yeah, fucking social I mean, media video because no one else was talking about it, you know? But that's the thing. We all, as Americans, need to start questioning this, this entire process because we created it. We created Congress, we created the executive branch, we created the judicial branch, and guess what? We're watching it not work. You know, <laughs> you're exactly right, JT. Like, I made a post talking about the Declaration of Independence where the power of the government comes from the people, and if that form of government no longer uh, serves their interests, it's their obligation to throw off that form of government. And people got on my social media and called me a violent extremist. And I was like, look how far we've come. Like, yeah. I'm quoting the foundational document of our government. And I'm a violent extremist for doing that. So to your point, I think people are starting to wake up. We need to be asking these tough questions because yeah, they work for us, not the other way around. Dude, these, these next elections are highly important. Yeah. The next presidential election is highly important because there is a lot of house cleaning that has to happen. And I really, really, really hope whoever gets in there next decides to turn backwards and start cleaning. Yeah. Like, that is necessary. We need to demand that. Like, I, I mean, I don't understand, like, even when you watch presidential debates, it's like, you guys are fucking idiots. Like, hold their feet to the fire and make them answer a legitimate question. Even when you're a reporter, make them answer oh, your question because these 100%. people will refuse to. They just talk around it. That's right. And we just blow over and accept it because we're too concerned that the new iPhone's coming out and that's all we want. I We're watched, fucking dumb. I watched General <laughs> McKenzie when the military was leaving Afghanistan. He did a press conference and I was watching those reporters ask him questions and not one of them came even close to a tough question. Like, <laughs> hey, did you think about holding on to Bagram Air Base? Like, did you specifically tell the president? And he said, no. Okay. They're just, I, I could come up with like 30 <laughs> legitimate questions and none of them are asked. And I'm watching this interview like, you gotta be kidding me. Like you guys are professional journalists. Like this is what you do for a living. It's a headache. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. I'm with you. I feel, I feel it. I see it every day. Like, and, and you know, from our level too, we get to see it from a, a very macro level. Like when you're looking at the comments and opinions from millions of people every yeah. single day, like, you have a dis different perspective on the on the sway. And, you know, I get to talk to a lot of powerful people in the military because they pick up the phone and go, hey, uh, what's going on out there? We we need some help. Yeah. And it's like, uh, well, uh, yeah, you kind of lost the boys on this one. 
Yeah. So it's 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 very very interesting because I don't know where we go from here. I don't know how it gets fixed. I, I think mean, first of all, we need a Secretary of Defense that's a leader. Like Lloyd Austin is not it. Trash and a half. We need a Secretary <laughs> of Defense. Like for him to come in and after a hundred days be like, all right, done my problem framing. I've identified the biggest threat to the DOD. COVID. And I was like, you know, like we, got, we got Russia invading Ukraine. We got like Afghanistan withdrawal. We got like all these significant things. Like I could go through like procurement. Like there's a 686 million, service um, members committing suicide um, while yeah, 16 I mean, died from COVID. So many issues. And you say COVID? And I just, so we need, first of all, we need a secretary of defense that understands that. Well, what that we, if we just went a little bit more basic? What if we just asked for a president that could wake up at a certain time and stay awake until his bedtime? Is that maybe, maybe the American public needs to think about that. I want to put I, I, all of you, I challenge you all right now to just imagine real quick. We're visited by people from another galaxy and they fucking land in Washington, D.C. and go, hey, so. Where's the guy in charge? And we point to fucking Joe Biden. They go, uh, are you guys fucking serious? Is this real? That's, hey, you guys all collectively got together and that's the <laughs> smartest person that needs to run this shit show? Yeah. Oh, God. You guys need, hey, we're going to get back in these, these, this really cool technology that we have. We're going to leave for about 100 million years. We're going we're gonna to let you guys figure it out first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no doubt. But the problem is it's not the best or smartest or most talented person. It's the person that can navigate the system. And it's the same thing with our generals. It's not the guy that can win wars. It's the guy that can navigate the system to get to the top. And so- the real question is not just looking at these guys because obviously we could do better. It's saying, how do we get the system to reflect the values that we actually want? Do we have to fundamentally change the system or do we hold, my theory is we have to hold them accountable, right? So at a very minimum, if you're a four-star general and you failed in the monumental way that we failed Afghanistan there at the end, like hold that guy accountable so that his peers on his left and right yeah. look over their hey, shoulders. I don't want to do that. That's right. Like, I don't want to do, uh, like, I have to perform. Like, and, and that's the thing. It's very basic. You're supposed to be the subject matter expert right. in macro level warfare that's and right. strategy, and you fucked it up. That's so, right. guess what? You're fired. Right. <laughs> I mean, I feel like but I'm 2022, on. we're backwards. Like I said, technology took us that direction. <laughs> and when I'm saying that, like, when I went through my whole ordeal, I was like, it seems so common sense. And everyone's like, Shiller, he's crazy, right? Maybe he's PTSD, maybe he's bipolar, maybe he's schizophrenic. I'm like, exactly. He's the subject matter expert. Like, how can we not agree that this was a failure and that he should be held accountable? Like, how am I crazy? I just, 100%. It's, it, uh, yeah, it sucks. It sucks because it, it, yeah, exactly what you said, like, just a second ago. It's like, you look at the candidates. You look at, like, I, I've said this a while back ago that the military stopped, like, fostering and, and nurturing ingenuity in the ranks. Like, where is our Chuck Yeager right now? Where, where do you know the name of the, of, of the best pilot that we have in the military? I don't. You don't. No. We failed. There. Like, like, why are we not having somebody out there innovating and then giving the service members a hero to look at and go, you know, hey, we're okay with you breaking the $250 million plane because you're going to figure out some shit. You know, how far did Chuck Yeager just by himself advance us in, in aeronautical engineering because he, he wasn't scared to go fuck shit up. Yeah. Like, and you can adopt that in every 
every single branch, every single vertical or, or MOS, like the submarine warfare area, the fucking naval ships, the, 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 the infantry fighting, using anything, like where is the ingenuity anymore and why are we not like just throwing money and support at the people that are creative problem solvers? I think a, a buzzword in the military is innovation. And the problem is senior leaders don't know how to focus that innovation. And the other problem is just like you're describing, senior leaders don't know how to identify talent and put them in places where they can actually have those. Well, that innovation is fake and it's destroyed by rules we made. Like, yes, it's been a number of years since I've been out of the, of the whole thing, but I remember back, you know, when we were searching for a good simulator Mm -hmm. to, to do JTAC things, it, we were stuck with, with companies that were on the fucking C list of, of ability because all the top companies were in video games, making video games because all the money was there. Yeah. And we can't, we can't cross contract those or nothing. But it's like, so we get stuck with, with the dudes that, uh, well, we kind of know how to do this and we'll, we'll do our best. But, you know, those guys over the, those professionals over there, <laughs> no, they hang out in the entertainment world because that's where all the money's made. Like, defense of our country, like, it's like, that's the problem. Everybody has gotten too comfortable with security not being a fucking thought in their head. It, they feel like it's just become a right. Like I, I was looking at this the other day on a, 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 I follow a very famous recording engineer and he was, he was arguing about how much money that, that artists are paid now and how they're so upset. And I like, you know, I'm unpacking that. And I'm like, no, it's like the industry corrected itself. Just because you can bang around and make noise on a guitar and sing really well, like, doesn't mean you deserve gobs and gobs of money. And in fact, you don't, you know, you don't deserve anything. Like, you, you can reap the benefits that you created for yourself if you get a bunch of people to listen and pay for tickets for you to go there. But 99% of musicians don't want to have to do the legwork. They want someone else to do it for them. And that's why the music industry is the way it is because they don't want to be a business and employ people. They want someone else to do it. And they just want to collect a check. And now that train has kind of halted because live performances are done. Streaming services are out. But it's just, it got me thinking of like, like, and I was watching all these comments come in and I saw some female artists talking about the the blood, sweat, and tears that go into writing a song. I'm sorry, woman, when the fuck was blood put into writing a fucking song? You are a spoiled fucking American that has never had to worry about someone kicking your goddamn door in at night and fucking killing everybody. So now you can sit around and bang on your fucking guitar and whine about your feelings and you're mad that you're not getting millions of fucking dollars for it. It's an art project. Shut the fuck up. Well said, brother. Well said. I don't think I can come back with anything. (laughs) We're having fun today. (laughs) Yeah. Well, luckily, we're shifting gears. We're back back into fourth. Okay. Uh, you, Tim, Tim Parlatore reached out to you, got in contact as you started, you know, getting completely screwed over by the Marine Corps and DOD. There couldn't be a better guy on, on this earth to call you a man that has fought the United States government nine times and won all nine times. So you got a good, you got a good dude on that. How did that unfold? Yeah, we haven't, I I hope we release the audio soon. I've got the audio. It's beautiful, by the way. 
Have you heard it? A hundred percent. He oh, sent so, it to me that morning. <laughs> yeah. So Tim, for people that haven't heard it, hopefully we'll figure out how to how to share it. But Tim's closing argument was epic. It was epic. It it needs to go up because people are going to go, holy shit. Yeah, it, it was really great. It was fun to watch. And so, yeah, working with him was great. He, like you said, really has the service member's best interest at, at heart, has done this a bunch of times. And he just knows how corrupt the system can be, all the things we're yeah. talking about. And so he, he really helped me a lot. The Navy is very, very bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like when you first met him, did he sit down? Was he with you or was it Zoom? Like, like did, was he like, okay, I've got the plan. I so did some Zooms and phone calls with him for probably three or four weeks before he flew in for my trial. So the first time I actually met him was like the night before my trial. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, I had spoken to him for quite a while. And before. how do you unfold the plan for you? I mean, we just worked through really the, the statement. So when we released the audio, like I gave probably a 10 minute speech too. And when I first submitted it to him, he was like, I need more, Stu. I need you to really walk us through all of this. Uh, so that it leaves no doubt. Like, I don't want you to walk away from here without putting it out, all out on the table. So he helped me with my final statement. He helped me, you know, just counseling through the the legal aspect of it. And then he gave a great closing statement. So yeah, it was a good experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, the strategy behind it was was pretty Yeah, so that's pretty the thing. It wasn't, so like Tim and Eddie Gallagher, a totally different situation, right? Eddie was pleading not guilty. And so, the, you know, people's lives are at stake. Yeah. Mine, I was going in, I pled guilty already, right? Like I already signed the deal. Well, you're like, I, yes, when you frame it like this, you know, you violated a direct order, Article 132, correct? Yeah. Like, 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 yeah. like it was like, Conduct yes. unbecoming yeah. a, a gentleman, okay. Yes, yeah, I, was, I did that. I wasn't yes, a gentleman. I, you know I mean? was like, not I, a gentleman. I, you know I, mean? I called the boss a dipshit <laughs> because right. he was doing dipshit things. Right. <laughs> so there wasn't like a lot of suspense. And quite honestly, the judge, I don't think, wanted me to plead guilty in a lot of ways. He even said, like, I've never seen anyone sent to jail for anything like this. Wow. You're not supposed Yeah, I mean, he was coming at him. And he, and he went on to say, like, talking about my release medical records and, and investigation, he said, if that's true... And those people should be brought in front of me. And, I'm, you know, they probably never will be. But. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the judge is, was, was, yeah, the, was fairly, again, like, we're kind of seeing that now. Now that all these things are finally going to court. That's right. Like, it's all being somewhat corrected. But this is a very slippery slope because once the courts are voted a certain way, this th we're not going to have this protection anymore. And that's what people need to wake up on. It's like I think the entire military justice system needs to have a hard look taken at it. I mean, the MARSOC 3 right now that's in a trial, there's substantiated undue command influence where the senior attorney on the East Coast was telling the defense attorneys, these young captains, so this colonel speaking to these captains, telling them if you help you know, the defendants, ultimately you won't get promoted, right? Like substantiated. How is that you like I mean? not massive news? That's what I'm saying. It's so like- it, Why just, is this guy still on the case if that's come out? So the prosecution got to maintain continuity. Um, Chief, I'm going to mess up his name. I think it's, I know his first name, Eric. Um, but he had to fire his defense attorneys because they were compromised. And so now like going into the trial, he's got to get new defense attorneys. They just had the decision last Friday and I haven't, on to look at the news. Um, but I guess that's a, one example of many where, you know, I could, the AAV incident where it just, unfortunately, a bunch of Marines were killed. 
But the, yeah. the combat cargo officer was a female working for the Navy and, and she sent me her investigation and I read it and, it, and like substantiated, corroborated by other Naval officers on the ship. Like the ship CO was lying, like corroborated. And it's just like, again, undue command influence, like the whole system itself. Like if you just look at a command investigation and how biased they are, if you look at my command investigation, they take facts out. Bro, I've been through a command investigation. Let me tell you about this. I'll, I'll abbreviate. The he- headquarters of Air Education Training Command wiped out our entry PT standard for TACP school. Like, came down a civilian, we call Garbage Pants. His name's Graz. Uh, that was his nickname, Garbage Pants. It was a perfect nickname. That dude's a piece of fucking human garbage. Uh, he called down and was like, you can no longer enforce a PT standard. PT standard on the entrance to this course. And we're like, what? Like, makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. And so you're never running around trying to call aircraft. We had like 12 airmen run over a 16 and a half minute mile and a half upon the entrance, which normally they just wouldn't start, but they forced us to start them. And then the first ruck march, which is introduction to rucking, 35 pounds, four miles, we have six guys go down with heat casualties. And when they do the, the, the investigation, we have a dinosaur of a colonel come out that flew F-4 Phantoms. And the first question out of his mouth is, what is a rucksack and why is it necessary? I almost don't even believe that. No. I, I, almost, like, like, I, I almost don't believe that. There's just no way. There's just no way. Why do you have to do this? Why should we make them carry a heavy bag in training? This is, this is what's coming out of his mouth. These are leaders. I'm telling you, like, people are intimidated by smart people and they filter us out. They kick us out. They find ways to get us out because they know that we'll take their jobs. There's some truth to that. <laughs> I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a couple of really smart people. Le- they either attrit by giving up. You're in the category. You said, fuck, man, yeah, there is no— I'm either going to bite my tongue— destroy everything that I've stood for to, to get my measly $1,400 a month in my retirement right. and be thankful for it from them, or I'm going to fucking take a stand and say, fuck this. You know, you're the uh, closer. What's, uh, what's the comedian? Closer, boys. Uh, he just did the special Netflix. Uh, Dave Chappelle. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Dave Chappelle. You know, he talks in there about the Me Too movement. And he talks about how, you know, everybody wanted to jump on Twitter and yap about it, but no one fired their agents. No one left their agencies. No one turned down productions. He goes, I'm the only motherfucker that turned $50 million down and said, fuck you. So none of y'all can say shit. And there's a lot of truth to that because you did it too. You said, I'm the only one that said, this is fucked up. I will sacrifice my paycheck for it because it's fucked up. See you later. That's right. So you're practically a Dave Chappelle. Much easier. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's maybe the highest compliment I've received so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's much easier to talk, right? I think we're also caught in a trap in our society, going back to the entitlement. We were talking about that for a while, but also people just think talking equals change when it's, it's much harder to actually take action. Change. Yeah. Action equals change. That's right. Like, I'm sick of, of just hearing people fucking yeah. Right, me too. It's, it, it's just empty now. Because- well, it's funny because when I did what I did, a lot of people were coming out criticizing me, saying how I should have gone through a professional article. 
I and, should have gone, should have. Yeah, yeah. well, what? I guess my point was, you know how many professional articles have said the same things over the last 60 years and not one of them has done fucking anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? These senior generals are not reading these professional articles and actually making change. Like, we need to get more active. And so I'm just sick of the talk. The thing is, is like the people have to pressure. Yeah. They have to pressure. We have to highlight, like, again, I keep bringing up the AFSOC thing because it's, it's actually happening. Like, the guys are so mad and everybody's so mad about standards being ignored and stuff. They're actually putting pressure, utilizing social media on these guys saying, we're just going to, we're just going to start publicizing every day. I mean, that's, that's the answer. Like that's the answer for all people still serving in the military. When you see something wrong, anonymously report it with the facts and with proof and get it out. Let everybody look at it because that's the only way you're going to make people want to do the right thing anymore is if they have a fear of this going out to the public and seeing an outcry. Like, 100%. It's yep. fucked up. 100%, man. This sucks. What's next Let's for you? Let's get though? these three guys in here. We <laughs> go start it now. Let's fucking go. <laughs> uh, what's next for you? So, you know, we brought up Tony Cowden yeah. a little bit earlier. So I've started a coalition of candidates that are going to be running for elections here in the 22 cycle. Tony's in that coalition. So we've, we're, we're growing pretty quickly. When we're up to like 30 uh, House representatives and six Senate. Wait a minute. You're taking action yeah, to make exactly. change? Exactly. I know. You're taking I, action to I'm make change, what. Colonel Scheller. So what? What is I, this? My, we're going to have this. We we're talking about, you know, no one in Congress holding anyone accountable I understand that they are our representatives and not our leaders, but at the same time, those representatives need to have leadership qualities. And I just don't see the leadership no, that uh, needs because, to be there. Because they act like children, like they have no boss. I mean, this was a prime example at, uh, you know, the last State of the Union where Trump was in office and you saw the, the, the what do they call themselves? The fucking squad or whatever those idiots are, yeah. you know, just being completely disrespectful during a speech that is, that is our heritage. That is, that is our fucking, it's a, it's a fucking thing that we do every year. Like, and you're just going to, be an ass and, you know, the ripping up of it. It, yeah, it was just Pelosi. like, yeah, it's like, you're just, you're, you're, you have, you're doing that because you have, you have no boss and you're flexing that and you're behaving like a spoiled little bat, like bastard, like, because no one is there to smack your hand and say, stop acting like a fucking child. 100%. 100%. Yep. So, votesforvets.org is the website for those list of candidates. We got about 60, 70% of them on that website now. We're trying to get them all up there because it's getting so big. But right now I'm doing media until probably mid-February. And then I plan to hit the campaign trail and, and help those people. Mostly the coalition is veterans. A couple of people just uh, supporters of veterans. But I think veterans translate to leadership very well. I think they have the foreign diplomacy experience and just some of the grit and suffering we were talking about earlier that I think will translate. And so after that, brother, I don't know, you know, I'll probably write a book. You can go to my website. So my brand is authenticamericans.com and you can pre-order a book that I'll, I'll probably be working on. I'll come out this fall, I think. And I've got ways you can donate for the political action committee. We've got a crowdsource funding platform there too. Got some merchandise. So between the website, the coalition, writing the book, I'll probably come up for air in 23 and then I, I may jump into a, an election myself in 24. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Uh, 
with this uh, political action committee, you know, the one thing I do want to stress to everyone is because, again, with this social media the way it is, like, I think everybody's kind of lost the bigger picture. Nobody's thinking strategy. Everybody's thinking surface layer. Guess what? These candidates, you're not going to agree 100% with them. So it doesn't mean destroy them. Like, just... Pick the, the ones that are closest to you. Like, you're never, you can't get 386 million people to agree on fucking anything. Well, you can't, <laughs> 100%. You're exactly like, right. And, but I, just to give one race as an example. So one of my Senate candidates is Latham Sadler in Georgia. And he is a Navy SEAL. He's worked on the National Security Council. He's from Georgia. And he is getting crushed in the polls right now by Herschel Walker, who moved from Texas to Georgia because he played at the University of Georgia. He's a famous football player. And when you hear the guy talk, like, not it, right? So, like, going back to, like, who do we need? Elect smart That's what I'm saying. Like, I just, so I look at that race as, like, a a microcosm. It's like, yes, he's a celebrity. But is he the guy that we need leading our country, making these decisions when we're talking about, like, Russia going into Ukraine and potentially World War III? Do we want a Herschel Walker who played football that is famous? Like, no, we want Latham Sadler, oh, the Navy SEAL that worked on the National God, Security Council. And so God. people need to take a hard look at who some of these candidates are and get involved. You're not going to maybe agree with everything Latham Sadler stands for, but the point is, like, he's obviously better than Herschel Walker. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, and I go on that with just uh, all the people on our own side. You know, they love, everyone loves to shift and attack every, everyone. And you don't understand, like, great, dude, you're not going to agree 100%. You never will. You, you, you just have to understand the bigger picture. What's better? Is it, what's better? <laughs> the SEAL that sat on a security committee before or the fucking famous football player? Right. Let's go with the fucking better option. That's right. Until we as a whole and as a culture can get our heads out of our asses and start putting engineers and economists and scientists in these positions that actually are very, very smart human beings that, that could make unobjective, unemotional decision-making, like, for the better of the entire country, like, we, we, we have problems. We need to fix them. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming out here. We're going to have fun the next few days. Yeah. Kind of give you a break from... Yeah, from, from talking, we're, we're repeating the story, but hey, this was awesome. I had a great time. Thank, Thank you. you. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!